The Space Between is brought to you by Proton VPN. To get your discounted VPN experience, visit the link in our description or go to the URL https colon slash slash go.getproton.me slash capital S capital H B N. That's go.getproton.me slash capital S capital H B N. Hello and welcome back to The Space Between here on Wildcat 91.9. My name is Colby Van Camp here with Dawson Wagner. Ooh. And it's, uh, it's a great up? weekend to kick off The Space Between, the radio show, oh. uh, and then pop it back on to Spotify, Apple Music, mm. Overcast, Everywhere. wherever the podcast can be found. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you guys tuning in on a nice, warm, it's a very warm day, Moist. very warm Sunday here in Kansas. Um, Moist. But yeah, go follow us on Instagram, just straight up. Go follow us on Instagram at Space Between Pod P-O-D. Mm. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can, SB Cosmic Pod. Um, and then you can follow me personally at KG Vancamp, V-A-N-C-A-M-P. And then uh, Dawson, where can we find you again? Dawson Wagoner, W-A-G-N-A-I-R. Because of all of your drone work and your uh-huh. affinity with being a, a pilot and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. very cool. Well, yeah, we want to know where you're listening to us from because today... I was going through my analytics according to Anchor.fm, which is now part of Spotify for podcasters mm-hmm. uh, or podcasters, whatever. It's the same thing. And um, I was just blown away. I went through and I was able to look through how many different countries people have listened to the show in. 58 different countries people have listened to the space between 50. in three episodes they have been listening from 58 different countries it's just absolutely mind-blowing so tweet at us uh send us a message on instagram do whatever you want but we want to know excuse me we want to know where you are listening from mm-hmm. so we can give you a shout out on our social media because that's pretty freaking awesome so we really appreciate everybody who has tuned in for this podcast and for this radio show so far so Dawson, what's our topic for today we my good sir are figuring out if the space race has already been won or not. We're not entirely sure who's in first place, second place, third place, or even if there is places for the space race. But we're going to dive into the deep, weedy, spacey, extra, just confusing future that is space travel, SpaceX, Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, and who all is, you know, kind of behind these different companies, private companies, as well as NASA that have been making new missions to potentially go to the moon and and putting more satellites up. So we're going to, we did more of the kind of pulsars, blazars, quasars for the first episode, more understanding what's out there and being able to, how to measure it in different ways. But today it'd be interesting to dive into more of the, the satellites, the things surrounding Earth. How do we how do we put things up into orbit in the first place? Yeah, for sure. And speaking of quasars, blazars, and pulsars, oh my, which you can find at <laughs> anchor.fm slash space dash between dash pod. We already have 12 listens in less than 24 hours, so that's pretty cool. We'll 897 that. overall total plays for the podcast in general. So 
That's take fire. That. We're trying to get to a thousand, folks. We're trying to get to a thousand. So share it with your friends. Take the leap and uh, and take the leap with us. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Just like Matthew McConaughey and I were were riffing off of each other there at the in the the beginning. Unfortunately, the, the unfortunately the folks for the for the podcast <laughs> version can't hear the sweet bumper that I put together. Uh, bumper is radio term for like the music and the intro, intro right? Um, <clears throat> because hashtag copyright. I'm so sorry. I can't put it out there for you. Um, if you're listening uh, via the podcast, but just know that it's fire. I use some music from Interstellar. I use some clips from Interstellar. Mm. It makes it sound like Matthew McConaughey and I are kind of going back and forth about the the <laughs> wonders of, of of the stars. So that's fun. But RIP, you can't hear it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you could tune in live if you wanted to hear it then. So Please. you could do that at wildcat919.com and just go, click on the listen button. And you can, you can listen live from 1 to 2 p.m. every Saturday and Sunday central time. Uh, we did say yesterday it was 12 to 1 p.m. Sorry, mm-hmm. it's uh, we moved that. <laughs> we, 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 1 to 2. We forgot that there is actually a show that happens on Sundays from 12 to 1, <laughs> uh, even though Dawson's programming director. So I don't know what We're he was, it out what he was summer, doing there. You know, yeah, like... so, so, so 1 to 2 p.m., <laughs> set it in stone. All right, anyway. So let's let's talk about. So who do you think is actually winning the space race then? And mm, I, I mean, mm. okay, let's take it another step back. Define for me the space race. Are we are we talking like Cold War space race? Right. With like United States and Russia trying to be the first person to put someone in space and the first person to put someone on the moon because the Russians beat us to the first person in space, mm-hmm. but then we beat them the first person on the moon. So by a lot. Yeah. See, what's fascinating about this is when you look up and just Google space race, you're given the Wikipedia space race, which is the 20th century competition between two Cold War rivals, as we all know, the United States and the Soviet Union, and it was to achieve superior spaceflight capability and, you know, the whole Sputnik era, launching the first satellite. Then we decided, no, we need to send someone to the moon. We need to put someone on the moon first before the Soviets. And have you, have by you golly, heard, we did. Well, yeah, we did. But have you heard the theory? I don't, I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory or like an actual theory that, like, Reagan and all of them were really pushing like the Cold War space stuff, you know, like JFK and and Johnson and all of those guys are really pushing Russia because it was like a way of um, diverting their attention from military spending to space spending because it was kind of like, well, we have to beat the Americans, so we're going to beat them in space flight, so we're going to actually move all of our money over here um, Mm. instead of like propagating nukes or something. I don't know. I I briefly heard that once and I can't remember <laughs> if it was like a conspiracy theory or an actual theory. I, I mean it makes a little see. bit of sense. Yeah, strategically I could see how that could benefit us militarily in a way, but at the same time because of the advancements we made in space travel and sending thing, things up there, we developed new technologies to advance our military. So it was a weird, you know, they talk about how like the military was kind of the reason why we originally were going to space is because we had this Cold War going on and we had to flex that muscle and show that, you know, we can be the best all around. And so we'll put the first people on the moon and be able to, you know, take this as like a a staple and like, a, you know, a pin up on our wall of, of the United States. Sure. And so it was a pride thing, you know, and ultimately I don't, yeah, I don't know how much of a conspiracy behind that, but I know there's a whole conspiracy of like, oh, the moon landing was faked, but. Oh, we're not even going to entertain that. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're not going to entertain me? that because it's not even, yeah, plausible among the thousands, millions of people over the course of history that have worked on these types of rockets yeah, and that That technology. by itself, like. Hundreds of thousands of people have to like buy into 
absolute silence, forget about it. <laughs> like, forget about it. It's exactly. just, it's not a thing. Loose lips sink ships. And the more people that you uh, tell, it's more likely that. So I just, I know. I'm, yeah. I, I'm so sorry. If you're one of those people that's like, yeah, the moon landing was definitely faked. Uh, <laughs> uh, take, a, <laughs> take a look back and read through how we launch satellites I'm, and how the technology actually works. I'm, because you're probably dismissing a lot. I'm probably not even, <laughs> I don't even know how I can have that conversation. I'm so, not even entertaining I, it. So, anyways, public interest in space <laughs> travel. It really originated in 1951 publication of a Soviet youth magazine and was promptly picked up by U.S. magazines. And so around the 1950s, 55, was when the competition began. And the United States announces its intent to launch artificial satellites for the first time through the inter- International Geophysical Year, which four days later the Soviet Union responded by declaring they would launch launch a satellite in the near future as well, thus kind of kicking off this whole idea of what we know as the space race. But that's that's really kind of come to a close, and I, I'm trying to think what year. It was after, of course, we landed on the moon and the Soviet Union fell after, you know, in the 1980s, 1990s, and we started to come into the more modern era of what we know as the space race, which is between SpaceX, Blue Origin, and Virgin Galactic. So there's this new private company, what some might call the billionaire space race, but it's intertwined with NASA right now because NASA is the one who's also contracting a few different companies that they're trying to figure out. And so that's the interesting part about it is because NASA is created, was created partly by by the government to be able to have uh, some sort of space program to send things out and observe our Earth and be able to better understand you know, what's out there with all the different satellites like Hubble, James Webb Space Telescope recently. And the technology behind it with building these rockets is where NASA is requiring help and needing help through these private companies that they can now contract out. And so that's ultimately kind of where the space race now is and why some might say SpaceX is leading in that. So so in what so the space race is now because we've already sent people to the moon, but then we haven't sent anybody to the moon in like, you know, 30 years. <laughs> so so mm-hmm. now <clears throat> the SpaceX, Elon Musk, all of these other companies, um, even though Elon Musk isn't a company, but whatever, um, <laughs> they they're all turn their attention now towards Mars. But between going to Mars, they still want to do lunar missions, right? There's mm-hmm. a, what is it, the Artemis, Artemis missions? missions? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the Artemis missions. Uh, talk to me about that. What do you know about trying to send people back to the moon as like preparation to then send them? to Mars. Yeah, so the Artemis missions is a, a variety of missions that they've recently announced astronauts to be able to go within the next few years. Uh, I think it's 2024, 2025 is when they want to do their first launch for going around the moon and then eventually landing on the moon after they test the rockets like the uh I believe the Falcon 9 um, has been helping a lot with kind of planning and preparation of launching because it's it is this point 
it's had hundreds of land, successful landings and has been able to take up numerous satellites. And that's why it's one of the most trusted to be able to then take people back to the moon. The thing is, is just making sure that we can repeat it safely over and over and over. Um, and that's the thing with these Artemis missions that we're starting to really learn about. So Artemis 1, which was as the successful uncrewed mission test of SLS and Orion, that was the first test flight this year in 20, no, sorry, this last year, getting confused, 2022, that allowed us to kind of figure out, okay, this is how this capsule can go up, we can launch it, it can come back in and land in the water. And so then Artemis 2 is now planned in 2024 to be the first crewed test flight. And so through the Artemis missions, SpaceX was the one who was competing against Blue Origin and Jeff Bezos's company to be able to get this contract. And ultimately, SpaceX won out and was able to start building these lunar modules and, yeah, helping with this Artemis mission program, which right now we're preparing for, for 2024. So why do you think it came down to, like, it? why do you think that NASA stopped having interest in trying to send people back to the moon or beyond, and now it's taken a couple of billionaires <laughs> with a vision to, like, race each other to the moon and beyond and then nasa is like oh can we come along too i just i just don't understand it's kind of like well you mm-hmm. should have been wanting to do that to begin with was it because of the and i'm i'm no uh historian here so uh, i guess opinions are where we're coming from on this one but like is it because nasa just cut the funding they had different things they wanted to study priorities um priorities of. yeah it's it was like well we've already been to the moon so i guess there's really no reason to go back to the moon i don't know right. I, why, but like, why not why not think broader why not think farther ahead (laughs) right it's just funny like it was almost just like a a thing that we wanted to show off and be able to show that we did which is send a person humans to the moon and be able to say we, we did that but then we didn't really know the types of stuff on the moon that we could then use the things that are on the surface and that we can build and create Kind of like what you'd say, a moon colony. And so, really, it's this plan now through these Artemis missions to build a moon colony through NASA and SpaceX and possibly Blue Origin or Virgin Galactic if they also get awarded contracts by NASA. But... Ultimately, it comes back to the political risks and the money and the problem over the course of the last 50 years has been just the amount of lives that have been threatened through space travel that we've had explosions in the past that some people kind of are fearing of. You know, it's I mean, it's not completely safe. It's definitely been practiced time and time again. We can make it as safe as possible. But in April of 1970, an oxygen tank exploded two days after the launch of the Apollo 13 mission that threatened the lives of the astronauts on board, which sent out a huge streamline of effects that really pulled a lot of funding Mm. from different parts of NASA that then set us down 50 years later until, you know, private companies that are now building rockets for us to send back to the moon. So figuring out our priorities of what we can get from the moon is what I think is really coming to fruition with these Artemis programs and the private contractors in this new space race, you could say. Mm, Okay. Well, Mm, that's just fascinating. It's good stuff. Well, coming up next, we're going to be we're going to be continuing our discussion of who's actually winning the space race. We've mm-hmm. defined what the space race is and kind of the key competitors at the moment. And now, coming up next, 
here on Wildcat 91.9. We'll be capping it off with who's currently winning on Wildcat 91.9. You belong. Hi, everyone. Colby Van Camp here. I just wanted to tell you real fast about the sponsor of our podcast, Proton VPN. Proton VPN is an affordable and reliable VPN service that offers a range of IP hosting variations and helps to protect your data while you surf the web. Use the link in our description or visit the URL https colon slash slash go dot get proton dot me slash capital S capital H B N to get your discounted version of Proton VPN today. That's https colon slash slash go dot get proton dot me slash capital S capital H B N. A little bit of fly me to the moon. Here on Wildcat 91.9 KSDB Manhattan. (laughs) Uh, Appreciate you all tuning in to the Space Between the Cosmic Podcast with uh, Colby Van Camp, yours truly, and Dawson Wagner. Uh, We're talking a little bit today about the space race. And, uh, you know, the space race began with the United States and Soviet Union back in the 60s, into the 70s and the 80s. And now we're on to the modern day space race. And I think think just right out of the gate, The Guardian put out a, uh, an article that says the space race is back on, but who will win? Um, and it's the, the, the subtitle is alliances are shifting as states led by China and Russia compete with the U.S. and tech entrepreneurs. <laughs> this is by Luke Harding. Uh, it's a bit of an older article. It's published July of 2021. Um, and it says Liu Boming took in the dizzy view around him lay the inky vastness of space below was the earth wow he said laughing it's too beautiful out here um mission accomplished uh, the two taikonauts china's astronauts clambered back into their home for the next three months beijing's new space station the core module for the station named tiangong meaning heavenly palace was launched in april uh, of 2021 there will be more spacewalks the station will keep growing we said um meanwhile on mars a chinese rover was exploring video showed the vehicle trunding over a rock surface. China is only the second country to land and operate a rover on the Red Planet after the U.S. The frantic tempo of the China National Space Administration's recent program is reminiscent of the Cold War when Moscow and Washington were superpower rivals scrambling to put the first man in space and land on the moon. Half a century on, space has opened up. It is less ideological and a lot more crowded. About 72 countries have space programs, including India, Brazil, Japan, Canada, South Korea, and the United Arab Emirates. The European Space Agency is Active too, while the UK boasts the most private space startups after the United States. Space Today is also highly commercial. On Sunday, Richard Branson, again, 2021, flew to the edge of space and back with his Virgin Galactic passenger rocket. On Tuesday, Branson's fellow billionaire Jeff Bezos is due to travel in his own reusable craft, New Shepard, built by Amazon founders by the Amazon founders company Blue Origin and launched from West Texas. Um, so we're, we've we've privatized space. Yeah, that's an old article too. It, it's a, it's like an old article, but showing before they launched it. So yeah, but but it's still this. applicable, right? Yeah, and it's, so yes. it's it's the I guess the preamble to where we are today. But uh, what do you think of the privatization of space? Should we be privatizing space? Because it, it, mm. it there seems like an ideological issue there, and the, the article even admits that it's less ideological at this point. But do we really want people out there privatizing space? <laughs> uh, you know. But then similarly, do you want the government in control of space? I don't know. I mean, the space space is considered international waters, so mm-hmm. it's it's for everybody. Um, yeah, different no rules apply, space, but there's rules that we abide by, right? There's Actually, I think there are laws in space. Out. What kind? Of, so, like, there's international laws. I'm pretty sure, but like, there's no specific 
Like there's no nobody owns space, right? There's no I think that's like a law, is that which is interesting. That there's no like there's no true jurisdiction, but there is like some guidelines. It's like uh world economic forum, you know, like just like there's mutual kind of agreements that people are like, well, we probably shouldn't like have guns in space or like certain like weapons in space. Like- so this is called um, the space briefing book, space law, uh, international space law by the space foundation.org. Oh. And it says the outer space treaty quote treaties on treaty. principles governing the activities of states in the exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies. The treaty is the foundation of international space law for signatory nations. Uh, the treaty presents principles for space exploration operation. Uh, and here are the points. Space activities, one, space activities are for the benefit of all nations, and any country is free to explore, orbit, and beyond. Two, there is no claim for sovereignty in space. No nation can own space, the moon, or any other body. Three, weapons of mass destruction are forbidden in orbit and beyond. And the moon, the planets, and other celestial bodies can only be used for peaceful purposes. Four, any astronaut from any nation is an envoy of mankind, and signatory states must provide all possible help to astronauts when needed, including emergency landing in a foreign country or at sea. Five, signatory states are each responsible for their space activities, including private, commercial endeavors, and must provide authorization and continuing supervision. And six, nations are responsible for damage caused by their space objects and must avoid contaminating space in celestial bodies. Then there's a rescue agreement. Signatories agreed to take all possible actions to help or rescue astronauts if needed, and if applicable, return them to the nation from which they are launched. Additionally, signatories agree to help return to the sponsoring nation any space objects that land on Earth outside of the country from which they were launched. There's a moon agreement. The agreement states that celestial bodies can only be used for peaceful purposes and that they should not be contaminated, that the United Nations should always be made aware of any station on a non-Earth body, and that if resource mining on the moon becomes feasible, an international regime must be established to govern how those resources are obtained and used. The United States is not a signatory of the moon agreement. Um, so, mm. so that doesn't apply to the United States because they didn't sign the agreement. So if the U.S. wanted to go and mine moon yeah, rocks for their own... Which I think with the Artemis missions, they might be doing that. Could. Um, so the liability <laughs> convention signatories take full liability for any damage caused by their space objects and agree to standard procedures for adjudicating uh, damage claims. And then lastly, the registration convention, expanding a space object register. The convention empowers the U.N. Secretary General to maintain a register of all space objects. So those are kind of the laws of space. Okay, that gives a good overview in in relation to then like the role of government though with space exploration and that kind of mixed with the privatization and we're wondering like you know why should we be privatizing space well if government has already kind of taken over and having the lead obviously in space exploration and sending up spacecraft and satellites and being able to observe things out there it only seems beneficial to be able to then have the private sector be able to help contribute to that success and the exploration of space. That's that's kind of the optimistic take on it, I guess, is figuring out, you know, when we send like a spacecraft up like New Horizons, which was sent to take pictures of Pluto, we do that so that people can understand, you know, what Pluto looks like. Because, like, we we had no clue. We hear about Pluto, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's Pluto planet. And it's like, no, Pluto's Dwarf a planet. planet. Well, how do we have proof of that? How do we know? People are going to question it. There's people who are, like, avid 
Pluto planet supporters because they don't actually know what the sizes of the different planets are and why the sizes are that way and the orbits and how what kind of you know size it has to be in what orbit to be able to become a planet like what is a planet is the, the basically the definition that they're challenging when they say that Pluto is a planet and so the more that we can understand what Pluto looks like by sending up spacecraft through the privatization of space along with the government that's already involved in space then the better we can enhance our knowledge you know which then has value for the own sake of you know educating students in classrooms and being able to take the images that we have from space to then distribute them from like what like the Hubble Space Telescope is a good example you know the imagine something like if that didn't have the benefit from the private sector in order to, you know, make it worth doing. So like for a private company, there would need to be a way to recoup the cost and a return on the profit to attract investors that would fund something like a Hubble Space Telescope or future telescopes. So the the way that they basically accrue and make money from this, because like, this is what kind of is the private sector and what would happen if you involve the private sector, is you'd have to charge researchers to use that, and then you one would have to sell the data obtained from that telescope. So both of those things would impede the progress of science in multiple ways. That's why the American people via the representatives, decided that we're going to be willing to pay, you know, $1.60. I think that's what they had, like, for taxes a year to put this giant telescope into space and operate it so that researchers around the world could use it at no cost and allow access to the data at no cost to educate students so that every person could gaze up and wonder about the telescope that, you know, it's, del- it's delivered so many beautiful images that we've been able to see of the universe. And you said and like, James Webb, is that well, James Webb is a great example, but the Hubble Space Telescope. You're talking about Hubble. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was yeah. I was looking up a separate article here while you were Both talking. Both of those and I, and I really those those two have really set a huge standard for what the what we've been able to do with scientific papers and the things that people have written over time so far. We have like over 14,000 papers that have been published using data from Hubble, mm-hmm. and over 1.3 million observations have been made from the Hubble Space Telescope. Yeah. And so just those statistics alone goes, it just proves why, you know, we need to be able to do this so we can educate ourselves better on what's out there and how, like people always wonder, how do we do this and obtain these things? And it's because of the things that, you know, we've sent up like the Hubble Space Telescope through the government programs, but now we can do it at a a more rapid pace with, through the privatization of space as well so, so that's a positive take there is the negative take yeah sure and so i'm gonna i'm gonna counter that statement no, a great statement by the way that you just made with this general idea so for the metric of winning right like i'm a sports mm. broadcaster right if if k-state football wins it's because they scored the most points right there's no in what way are we winning or are we losing the space race and so i'm gonna i'm gonna float two metrics at you mm-hmm. and unless you have more of them fine but my two metrics i can just think of off the top of my head is that either exploration is the metric in which we are defining how we win the space race quote-unquote win right. and i guess maybe an even more base question should be do we even want to win the space race? Should it be something that we're competing for to win? Yeah. Um, but is like, is there an ethical issue in trying to rush things to win the space race when it's kind of like, 
there's so much to study. Like everybody can have a nice little piece of it or a nice huge piece of it and be happy. So, uh, okay. But so, so the two metrics that I'm thinking of, if we're trying to quantify in terms of winning the space race are exploration. We've won in terms of exploration. We've sent the most people to the moon and then we sent people to Mars and we sent people to, you know, what, what's next? Jupiter. Then we sent people to Saturn and then Neptune. And then we <laughs> shot them out into the middle of nowhere and away they go, right? And so we're just shooting people out there. And so exploration. Or, or is it we won the space race because we have the most technology that's in space that helps us to better understand space, i.e. objects like James Webb Space Telescope or Hubble, um, because as incredible as exploration is, and exploration still is educational, because you're learning things that you wouldn't be able to learn without putting people on those locations, but is is that the better of the two? Because to me, I would love to see, you know, 10 James Webb Space Telescopes out there. Like, what could you study with 10 of them? Mm-hmm. You know, how, mu- how much more data could you take in with 10 if you had 10 floating around out there um and you know that's like 60 billion dollars um or because it and how much did it cost i think it was like 10 billion dollars to it put was, james it was 10 billion dollars james I webb think. up there yeah so let's say you put 10 of them you have 100 billion dollars that mm-hmm. you're going to spend uh collectively but what if you know the united states put james webb out there so then uh what if the european space agency puts um the the uh tim webb space telescope i don't know they put, they put something else out there and then china puts their own out there i just it bothers me that the, that the and i guess it's a relatively like dare i say socialist view it's rather egalitarian in that like what Space is for everybody, right? Why are we trying to privatize the study of space so mm. that we're the keepers of the ultimate knowledge? Like, just everybody should go and study it. Like, if right. you, and if you want to go study it, then put your own freaking thing up there, right? Just yeah. go. Just if you want to do it, you could probably make the money happen. Most countries could probably make that money happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to cut something, so make sure that you're responsible in what you cut. But if you really want to to justify the spending you could so just put it up there and and let's stop fighting over who has the best equipment in space when we can all put equipment in space and all mutually benefit from the data that comes from that equipment because i mean it's no secret that right now tensions are high between like the united states and china right but they still look at the same data like do you think that those that those um the space guys aren't sitting around kind of like well you know uh and James Webb did just put this information out, and even though they're Americans, that's the information that we've been looking for. So yeah, we're gonna use that. I mean, come on, they totally do because it's the only way that you're gonna get that information. So I, I, it's, it's incredibly difficult to navigate space right now, man. Like, like China and the U.S. Like, there's reasons why we have we or we have in the past had so many different projects and missions that multiple countries have worked on to be able to make happen like it's across like cross borders cross nationalities every you know there's so many space agencies that have come together to make things like the james webb t- space telescope happen but then there's also like you know china launched you talked about the rover that they had in like 2021 that they had launched well because of the accumulation of dust over time due to a hibernation that different rovers go into while they're on Mars, that rover is now out of commission 
because it collected too much dust onto its solar panel. So it, it can't it can't run anymore. And that's a huge issue that we're trying to figure out and prevent in the future is like, how do we navigate these harsh, harsh environments? How do we figure out? Well, it's by sending things up into space to test and to be able to repeat like the scientific experiment that we're doing with a lot of these things. And so the company that if we're going to quantify it, like we were talking about, can't really quantify the exploration part of it because that's more of just expanding, educating, learning, trying to figure out. And so that shouldn't be like the space race, competition, exploration, but to be able to do it more on the technology side of the space race, figuring out who's sending up the most satellites. Who's who's doing the most, you know, projects for NASA and working with different companies and space agencies to be able to launch things up? And the company that's leading in that is SpaceX. There's over 4000 Starlink satellites today in low Earth orbit. Another 56 were just sent up on June 23rd. And you, the listener, probably didn't even know about it unless you're like someone who tracks space, SpaceX, the launches. And the plan is to deploy another 12,000 satellites over the course of these next year or two and then eventually expand that to 42,000 satellites from 4,000 right now, there's 4,000 Starlink satellites in space to 42,000. Just think about that and like how many, like, so let's see how many total satellites are in orbit right now. And if we're going to increase it to 42,000 satellites, is that too many or is that allowing us to then learn more, expand our data sets and be able to have the space race that we're all talking about in competition, but maybe distribute distributing it so it's not just SpaceX controlling it all. Sure. Even though, yeah, Starlink is the prominent one and would be if we went down this path that we're currently on. Yeah. Well, we're going to have more answers for you coming up next <laughs> here on Wildcat 919 because we're up against our break. But uh, I have an article that I want to share with you, Dawson, Woo-hoo-hoo. because this pertains to what we're talking about in our final segment 40 minutes down, 20 more to go. Appreciate you tuning in to The Space Between. Coming up next, more talk about has the space race been won and who's winning between the United States and China right now and, frankly, should it even be a race to begin with. Here on Wildcat 91.9, you belong. Hi, folks. This is Colby Van Camp. In today's day and age, we often hear about hackers stealing information from our computers simply because our internet connections aren't secure. You and I are just one errant click away from having our data stolen by maskless perpetrators on the internet. That's why I use ProtonVPN to secure my internet searching and internet data. They offer reliable and affordable services to keep your data protected. To get your discounted VPN service through ProtonVPN, follow the link in our description or go to the URL https colon slash slash go dot get proton dot me slash capital S capital H B N to capitalize on our exclusive offer with Proton VPN. That's https colon slash slash go dot get proton dot me slash capital S capital H B N. 
Welcome back to The Space Between here on Wildcat 91.9. You belong. Appreciate you tuning into The Space Between. Uh, by the way, if you want to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you can do that. Just look us up, The Space Between. Uh, we are one of the top astronomy podcasts in the world. That's not parody or uh, or parody. That's not uh, false. I don't know what the word I was trying to come up with there. But uh, we're definitely, <laughs> definitely one of the top astronomy podcasts in the world right now, which is just unbelievable. And we've turned into a live radio show, which will be Every Saturday and Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m., at least during the summer, here on Wildcat 91.9 FM, the Kansas State University student radio station. I'm Colby Van Camp here with Dawson Wagner. We've been talking a little bit about the uh, the space race and has it been won? And if it has been won, can we measure how it's been won? And should we be trying to win anything to begin with? <laughs> and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote an article here. So this is from FastCompany.com that says, who's winning the space race between the U.S. and China? And this was published on April 24th of this year by uh, Svelta Ben Itzak. And it says, a clear leader makes for a boring race. Calling the current situation a race implies that the U.S. and China have roughly equal capabilities in space. But in several key areas, the U.S. is far ahead, not only of China, but of all other spacefaring nations combined. Starting with spending, in 2021, the U.S. space budget was roughly $59.8 billion. China has been investing heavily in space and rocket technology over the past decade and has doubled its spending in the past five years, but still has an estimated budget of $16.18 billion as of 2021, and it is still spending less than a third of the U.S. budget. The U.S. also leads significantly in the number of active satellites. Currently, there are 5,465 total operational satellites in orbit around Earth. The U.S. operates 3,433, or 63% of them. In contrast, China has 541. Similarly, the U.S. has more active spaceports than China, with seven operational launch sites at home and abroad, and at least 13 additional spaceports in development. The U.S. has more, the US has more options to launch payloads into various orbits. In contrast, China has only four operational spaceports, with two more planned, all located within its own territory. This is parity with nuance. While the U.S. may have a clear advantage over China in many areas of space, in some measures, the difference between the two countries are more nuanced. In 2021, for instance, China attempted 55 orbital launches, four more than the U.S.'s 51. Again, like, it's just, they're like, oh, we, we put four more in space. Like, who cares? Congrats. You launched four more missiles than the United States. But whatever. The total number may be similar, but the rockets carried very different payloads to orbit. The vast majority... 84% of Chinese launches had government or military payloads, intended mostly for electronic intelligence and optical imaging. Meanwhile, in the U.S., 61% of launches were for non-military, academic, or commercial use, predominantly for Earth observation and for telecommunications. Space stations are another area where there are important differences hiding beneath the surface. Since the 1990s, the U.S. has worked with 14 other nations, including Russia, to operate the International Space Station. The ISS is quite large, with 16 modules, and has driven technological and scientific breakthroughs. But the ISS is now 24 years old, and participating nations are planning to retire it in 2030. The Chinese Tiangong Space Station is the new, is the new kid on the block. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Construction was only completed in late 2022, and it's much smaller, with only three modules. China has built and launched all of the different parts and remains the sole operator of the station, despite having invited others to join. China is undoubtedly expanding its space capabilities, and in a report published in August of 2022, the Pentagon predicted that China would surpass U.S. capabilities in space as early as 2045. However, it is unlikely that the U.S. will remain stagnant as it continues to increase funding for space. So, I mean, in terms of just those metrics, I guess the United States is quote-unquote winning the space race. But, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm much more of the opinion that we need to be doing stuff— um, Regarding the uh, 
I don't know. It's the scientific, right? And the academic. Um, I understand the reasons for putting military stuff up there. And obviously it, it, it needs to happen because everybody else is doing it. There's national security. I'm not an expert in that. But um, So what would you consider scientific versus, you know, like what would Starlink fall under in your categorization of... Well, Starlink's telecommunications, right? So, but it allows you to learn and be able to like it's bringing education to you know students in Africa and some of their schools. I mean, sure. I, I I don't necessarily view that as a bad thing. No, no, no. I'm saying like it's a it's a weird like situation where we try to figure out what you know is educational and more of like exploration, teaching like people versus. It just uh, some sort of, you know, military empowerment, which I guess Starlink does also provide military access. So like Ukraine, Ukraine is using Starlink as a way to be able to communicate from people from Kiev to the front lines and to be able to have Internet access. Sure. And so it's an interesting case study when it comes to, you know, Starlink and the amount of satellites that they have up in orbit and how it's not just one specific categorization of what this is and so you kind of have to take it into consideration of like okay what other companies or or governments are kind of challenging this and you were talking about how china is trying to create its own different versions of things like starlink china's currently gearing up this year to be able to challenge Starlink with its own band of satellites that it will be sending up to low Earth orbit. But like you said, you know, SpaceX has already built a fast-growing network of over 3,500 low Earth satellites. It was tens of thousands of users in the United States already and plans to add tens of thousands more satellites to the system. And so China is trying to challenge that with its own satellite constellation, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out China Satellite Network Group Corporation in 2020 said that it planned to launch a fleet of almost 13,000 low Earth satellites. But so far, the progress has been extremely slow. Like, yeah. that's that's when it really comes to the comparison of what a private company like SpaceX can do versus what a government could do. Sure. And yes, their government is very centralized through the Chinese, you know, Communist People's Party, but it's also very bureaucratic and you have a lot of hurdles and things to get, still get through, unlike what a private company like SpaceX can do. And so that's where this contracting out that the government does with companies like SpaceX could lead the United States and other space agencies from all across the world that use Falcon 9 rockets and other things to launch into space as something that can kind of combat the more centralized government route of of challenging space. Instead of it being like a space race between two government powers, it becomes more distributed through the private sector that way, where, where simply the private companies such as SpaceX provides a rocket for people to be able to send whatever they'd like on and they don't have any sort of, you know, but well, there's always bias, I guess. I can't say there's no bias in what they can and can't send up on the rocket. But you don't have like the bureaucrats trying to control everything. Yeah, right? yeah. It doesn't have to go through the same things that oh, you would if you were government trying to decide what to send up and like, because it's not the taxpayer that's really paying for that. As sure. Much. It's more so, yeah, the government or the company that you're contracting to do that. And with Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, and SpaceX providing different avenues to almost like 
bid out, kind of like Verizon, T-Mobile, you know, Sprint. We have these different bidding of people that make it a competition between each other. And so, I don't know, it's a weird mix of like, yeah, the free market, but how much do you want to get involved in the economics of it all? And that's where it gets kind of complicated when it really comes into the finances mm-hmm. of space and, and how they might win in that way. But ultimately, when it comes to the technology and the things that we're launching into space, I mean, we have 7,700-some satellites already up in space in low, Earth over, in low Earth orbit and other orbits. 84% of the satellites are in low Earth orbit. Mm, okay. And then middle Earth orbit, there's over, let's see, 12, 3% <clears throat> in me, middle Earth orbit. And then there's the geostationary orbit. And that is, I see, 12%. So this is all from, I want to get my source right, nanoavionics.com. And they have a whole entire article that breaks down 12% geostationary orbit and then medium Earth orbit 3%, low Earth orbit 84%, which makes sense because that's the one that is closest to Earth and allows us to have satellite communications and be able to send the things that we do and send today and access on the Internet of Things. Sure. So... Since we're coming up on the end of the show, I, uh, I, I'm going to say this, whether we like it or not, and I, as we've talked, I tend to like it more, but I, I think that the future of space exploration, space technology, the quote-unquote space race belongs in the hands of private companies. Um, or it, it doesn't necessarily need to belong in the hands of private companies, but it does. I think that private companies are the ones driving this right now. You have institutions like NASA that like, yeah, there's, they're still doing a bunch of really cool stuff, but it's seemingly taken uh, Jeff Bezos and, and Elon Musk. They need those and, private sector. And yeah, a bunch of these private things. sector guys to show up and kind of kickstart it again for him to actually, in terms of sending actual people into space, right, mm-hmm. um, for, for extended periods of time to go to the moon to go to Mars, right? Um, it's very exciting to me that, you know, my, my parents are old enough. They're, they're very late baby boomers, right? And my parents are old enough to remember the moon landing. In our lifetimes, we're going to see the Mars landing, right? And potentially in this decade. I'm hoping, man. In this, in this decade, we oh, might see the Mars amazing. landing, right? Can you, can you imagine that, to see, see that in high definition? See a human on Mars? That's just, I mean, that's just unbelievable. <laughs> so I guess the final question that we need to ask, because that's what we started with, has the space race been won? And I'm here to tell you that I don't think that we can even quantify it by calling it a quote-unquote space race at this point. I think that a bunch of different countries have a bunch of different objectives for what they're trying to do. So you're comparing apples and oranges. Um, so I, I don't think there's necessarily a space race at this point because like the article I just read from fastcompany.com, like the, the U S is so far ahead of everybody else that it's not even really a race at this point. Like it's just <laughs> the U S and then everybody else. Um, but it's again, we're studying so many different things. The U.S. Is, has different objectives. China has different objectives. The European Space Agency has different objectives. Canadian uh, Space Agency. Can, yeah. You want to throw all the space agencies together. They were working with the United States. And that's what's so cool. Well, and so I was listening to the Joe Rogan experience uh, last night driving back from <laughs> Kansas City. And yeah, I, he was talking to uh, Michio Kaku. Um, and 
Michio Kaku was talking about how we're on the precipice of becoming a type one civilization. And I hate to like open up this can of worms while we have three (laughs) minutes and 35 seconds left. But, um, the, the idea is, is that we're on our way. Like the internet is the first technological advance that connects all of humanity globally, um, from a communication standpoint. So that's like the first type one, uh, civilization mm-hmm. technology that's been developed. And so I think a key towards you, the the world becoming a global collective in a type one civilization uh, is by uniting space agencies, right? right? But the problem is is that you're never going to get everybody to cooperate. So once you once you <laughs> once we figure out how to, I guess, motivate it that sounds so like militant like we're going to motivate you to cooperate with us right like that's not what i'm trying to get at but once we can figure out and i think it's supposed to be by 2100 that we're supposed to be close to being a type one civilization where we've either come up with enough technology to unite all of us or come up with unite enough technology to destroy all of us and we're in that very pivotal moment Right, right now, right, right now, it which is crazy, which is crazy because we're right on the precipice of having the technology to just like blow everybody up or we're right on the precipice of having the technology to say we can be better than that and, and become a type one civilization to then move on to expanding out into space into the stars. Right. And mm. I, and that's just fascinating to me. And take the leap. Yeah. Take the leap. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's, that's, I think is one of the keys in heading towards a type one civilization is the unification of space agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's, that's the ultimate goal, right? As, as the earth becomes less and less hospitable because of the amount of people that we have on it. What are you going to do? I mean, clearly you can't eradicate more people like that's genocide on a level that is unbelievable that you would never ever ever want to advocate for Mm -hmm. but similarly you have to do something about it and so you can regulate you can do all you want but at the end of the day it's people right Mm -hmm. so you have to they have to go somewhere and onward and upward is about the only way that i can think of without sounding like a doomsday person which i'm not upward and distributing the costs of it all too over time through the application of these companies with governments and the more that we can emiratize i don't know if you know the word emiratize the cost then the more the cost becomes less to the customer and the less they need to charge them over time and the larger potential market for people to be able to learn about space and be in space and consume more about the space between. Yep, that's it. That's it right there. (laughs) So some heady stuff for you on this Sunday. But hey, we'll be back next weekend with more for you and your friends here on Wildcat 91.9. Be sure to check out the podcast, The Space Between, one of the top astronomy podcasts in the world. Go check it out. Go give us five stars, a like, a subscribe, a listen. Do all the things. We appreciate you tuning in. My name is Colby Van Camp here with Dawson Wagner. You've been listening to The Space Between on Wildcat 91.9. You belong. The Space Between is brought to you by Proton VPN. To get your discounted VPN experience, visit the link in our description or go to the URL https colon slash slash go dot get proton dot me slash capital S capital H B N. That's go dot get proton dot me slash capital S capital H B N.